0: It's great having kids in the service. It's not bad having you adults either, just to make that clear, so I don't want to insult everybody right off the bat. So I know we have a lot of visitors here this morning, so I want to welcome you. Thank you for coming. I also want to let you know that as a visitor you are welcome to speak up. Uh, you'll hear people um, answer questions. I'll ask questions. And I'm not very good at rhetorical questions. I never got that part. And so I will wait for an answer. Um, As we work through scriptures, um, I love to do it together, right? And so we can learn and and grow together. And so sometimes when those questions come, uh, I'll wait for that answer because it helps us, right? It helps, you know, solidify that a little bit. And sometimes even if it's a wrong answer, we can learn from it. And so that's okay. And so that's part of what we do here at Point Way. So um, it's not a... Respecting or anything like that at all, but it's a, a way to learn and a way to teach, and so that's what we want to do. We want to learn together. I'm a little bit excited this morning. I, I really am. I love starting new series, and we're going to start a new series this morning. We're going to start out with First Samuel, all right? First Samuel, although First and Second Samuel actually was written as one book. They divided it for us that have trouble reading long stories. I think that's they. they make those cuts and those um, dividers for us. Same thing with Chronicles, same thing with some of the other books of the Bible, Kings. They divided it to help separate the time period, but it it also is helpful as when you're working through it. Now, if you look really quick and you say, oh my goodness, Charlie, the life of Samuel, that's going to take a long time. I mean, Samuel's span in the Scriptures is about 150 years. We'll be in this for a long time. Well, because we're taking a look at Samuel... We're probably going to narrate some things. We may even... I know this is going to sound harsh for some of you. We're going to skip over some chapters. Yeah, I know. I know. That's not like me at all. Samuel its not like me. But for the sake of time and that... And because we're we're focusing in on Samuel, it's good for you to read during the week to find out what's going on historically. It is a historical book. It's part of the history of Israel. And the great thing about Samuel is he's kind of a unique character in this. Samuel is not typical. But in the time period, it's an untumulous time in the, the nation of Israel. They're kind of going through some stuff. It's, it's kind of the end of Judges. They're in this transition, and they're getting ready for kings. right? And Samuel is this kind of partial judge, does some priestly stuff, and yet he's also a prophet. He wears different hats in different situations. Anyone relate to that? right? How many have a job, right? You, you very seldom have a job where there's only one purpose, right? Quite often there's things that get added to. And, and even as a pastor, I've learned out there's that D, all of the above, or whatever needs to be done. And sometimes that can be anything that falls into that category. Steve yesterday was asking me if we had jelly for the toast. And I disappointed him greatly because I said, no, I don't. Samuel does the same thing. He fills the role of the time. Now, if you don't get anything else, right? We're studying Samuel. Don't want to take away from that. But who is the most important person in the Old Testament? God, God, Yahweh, yeah, whatever title you want to use him. But God is the most important, right? He is faithful even when everyone else is unfaithful. In fact, you have a hard time picking out a character in the Old or New Testament besides Jesus that was perfect, right? They have flaws. They have shortcomings. They are not perfect people. Praise God. He uses imperfect people. I can't believe someone's gonna say amen. Come on, don't leave me hanging, right? You got one, all right. Phew. Right? God uses imperfect people. And so don't think for one minute that Samuel is like this, this, this pillar of the faith, and we should follow him and do everything exactly as he did. He had shortcomings. But he does rise up, and God uses him mightily through this time period. So if we're going to talk about Samuel, we need to to look at the beginning. And we're actually going to bring into the, the story this morning his mom, especially, and his dad, and the beginning of Samuel's life. So if you have it up there, it should come up soon. If not, maybe you have your Bible with you or your phone app, and you can follow along with me. There was a certain man from Ramatha, a Zupite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Echonon, son of Jehoam, the son of Elu, the son of Tuho, the son of Zufa, on Ephorite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other was Pina. Pina had children, but Hannah had none. All right, just a, a beginning, right? It's a little shaky of a beginning, to be honest with you, right? One man, two wives. All right? Any of you husbands want two wives? Nope. No. <laughs> Careful how you answer that, but yes, right? <laughs> Good answer, Lucas. Good answer. Guess what? It wasn't God's design. It wasn't his plan for any man to have two wives. PJ just stepped back in. I'm going to be in trouble here probably in a minute. But I know PJ's joke from time to time is that it wouldn't be bad to have a second wife to take care of some of the housework and some of the things or when we were raising children. But reality is, no. Having two wives in the household is not a good thing. It's guaranteed, most likely, there's going to be conflict. And guess what? It's no different in this story, right? And we see the difference between them, right? It says, Hannah was not able to have children. And Penna had children, right? And again, especially in the Old Testament we see, and, and even today, children are a gift from God. It's a blessing. He's the one that, that opens that womb and he closes that womb. And so automatically there's going to be strife in the house, right? Elkanon's not very bright in this. He's got two wives and he's trying to keep them both happy. And guess what? he's not going to do it very well. I would say it's probably an impossible mission for one man to get, keep two wives happy. <laughs> you know, it's great when I don't even have to finish. I can just leave it out there, and, and I know someone's going to, get in, is going to take and hit it out of the park. With that being said, some husband's going to get an elbow in his ribs about now, so... as we continue on before I get in any more trouble and before you do as well verse 3 year after year this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophan and the Pharisees and the two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord All right, I have some more characters here Eli is actually the priest of the time he is the one that's in charge of the worship so, the one in charge of the sacrifices. And we see, even though this man has taken on two wives and is definitely not in part of God's will, yet he still knows what he's supposed to do, and he's obedient in that regards. Right? He makes his sacrifices. He's leading his family spiritually, we would say, at least in the ritual of sacrifice and what he is supposed to do. So he's being that example. And we have Eli. Eli is kind of an interesting character here as well because Eli, in in many ways, like Samuel, wears more than one hat. Eli is, by many, said to be the last of the judges. Again, it's in this transition time where things are kind of mixed up. And again, we're not doing a study on Eli, but you wouldn't want to do that either because Eli has some, some great failings as well. But he is the priest of the time. And so he's in charge of the spirituality, of the, 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 the taking care of those who are still following God. Great responsibility. And so he's taking that on. And again, we see here that that is still part of where they're at right now historically. Verse 4 says, Whenever they came, the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Pena, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved them, right? And the Lord had closed her womb. Again, like I said, you can see where there's problems, right? You know, we, I think we talked about this yesterday in men's group. It's amazing how that works. But we, right, we talked about favoritism, right? And, and, and taking care of one, treating one person better than the other. Now, you can see where jealousy would happen, right? The, the one who's given him sons and daughters and, 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 and the family. And again, in an agricultural society, that's important. That's, that's your, your future. And Hannah's not been able to give him a child, and especially not a son. Yet he's trying to compensate, trying to keep both wives happy, and so he gives her a double portion. Double portion to sacrifice, right? trying to, to help her to, to even things out. Again, he's trying to keep two wives happy, and guess what? He's going to fail in that. It's not going to work. But he's trying. And again, here the Lord had closed her womb. I want to make that clear, right? It's nothing that she's done, nothing that he's done. The Lord. They, they recognized even that day that God is the one that does that work. He's the one that opens up the womb and closes the womb. Children come from the Lord. Appropriate on today as we're sanctity of life and we're thinking that's heavy on our hearts today. This passage speaks well to that. Verse 6, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Can you imagine, right, you're living with someone who is constantly, I call it poking the bear, right, Needling a little bit. It's irritating, right? That's a long time, year after year, right? I don't know about you, but I don't have much patience for that. If I get irritated, I usually probably say something or speak up or try to fix it pretty quick. But these two women are at each other, right? Husband's trying, but the two wives are not doing well together. There's strife in the home. It's, it's not going well. And it's not just a short period of time, but it's going now over year after year. And so you can see how this would cause a problem. This would cause a lot of stress and anxiety. It certainly would not be the home that you'd want to live in or grow up in. Verse 7 here, it says, after year after year, it says, Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Again, it's an interesting question, right? He's trying to, to, to lift the spirit of his wife up. He, he doesn't want to see her this way. He, he loves her, yet she's so distressed, she's so distraught that she now has stopped eating don't have to look very hard in the scriptures but you can almost say she's fallen into depression at this point. There's a lot of the signs. You know, if you were making a checklist you would see definitely that, that she's getting close to that. But yet she still has her faith. Again, Hannah is one of those that you look at and say, alright, even though things aren't going well, things are not right, she still has her faith. But it's starting to affect her, her being. right, Her countenance. So now you not only have two women fighting in the house, but you've got one now that's uncontrollably weeping and not eating and, and starting to cause that disruption. And so husband steps in and says, Hey, aren't I important to you? Aren't I even more than ten sons? And we don't have the answer there, but we know the answer. Really, she says, No. I want a son. I want a child. That's the desire of her heart. You see that come through strongly here. Verse 9, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorposts of the Lord's house. Under my Bible, I've written a line here because it's kind of caught me funny and, again, take it for what it's worth, but it says that he was sitting down, right? That's not normal, the position of the priest. He would greet people as they would come, he would be standing up. For him to sit down is, is is not a sign of respect, and it's it's not part of the culture even, but many think because Eli was so large, and you'll see, if you read on, you'll see why, But and he was of probably older age and, and bad health, that he had to sit down because he couldn't stand up any longer. But it's just interesting that he's sitting down, it's not the normal position, it's not how... Things were done, and so it's an interesting study, and hopefully, it will help you as you read on. You may be able to refer back to that later on. And so, I'm setting you up for what's yet to come. But Eli is, is sitting down as they are coming at the doorpost. Verse 10 In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. I Love here, the scripture every once in a while will give us that little glimpse that little insight into a person's heart, right? Hannah's not blaming God for her situation. She has that faith that God can still do that miracle, that he can still open that wound. It's not happening when she wants it. She's praying for it to happen, and it's certainly not for lack of effort or lack of of doing anything wrong, but she is still counting on God to do that work. For that, we can certainly commend Hannah, right? She's she's doing what she's supposed to. And many ways you see that she's actually ramping it up, she's stepping up her prayer life. So we've been doing the 40 days of prayer, and again, it's just a tool, but to help us to pray more often. Someone once said that that's one of the things that we lack most as Christians is that we don't pray enough. We we take too many things on our own and we don't pray and we don't ask God for things that we need or things that we are doing, or our decisions that we make. And so praying more is not a problem. And so we see that here, and we hear this in, in Hannah's prayer, but we also see our heart. I was teaching yesterday a, a men's group, and we were talking about marriage, and it was part of the fatherhood challenge, and one of the things that I was encouraging the, the married guys that were there in front of me, I said, hey, one of the greatest gifts you can give your wife is to pray with her. Pray together as a couple. I said there are many benefits. A, you bring God into your relationship and into your marriage, which is vitally important, I think, for your marriage. The other thing, A, prays, is it allows both of your hearts to be open. And quite often when PJ prays, I find out what's really going on in her, her heart. She may not be able always to put it into words, but I can tell by her prayers what's going on in her heart. It gives me a little bit of a window into that. Now, don't worry, I'm praying. I'm not just sitting there listening to PJ pray the whole time I'm doing that, but it does give me that insight. And it helps me as a husband to be better at that. And so if you ever want marriage tip number one, pray with your wives, men. PJ got that one. And women do the same, right? Doesn't always have to be initiated by you guys, but certainly be open to that. But pray together. That one's, that's a bonus. It's free. Take it. Um, and put it into practice. Back to Hannah here. Again, she's praying to the Lord. She's weeping bitterly. Verse 11 says, And she made a vow, saying to the Lord Almighty, If you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. It's a pretty heavy commitment. If you think about it, she's praying for the Lord to open up a woman, give her not only a child, but a son, right? And not only the, you know, well, the third son I'll give to you. No, it's the first one, the first child. Now, this is a woman who has not had children, has been suffering, been waiting for this, and now she's saying, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him back over to you. Pretty serious commitment here. I wouldn't recommend making a lot of these vows to the Lord, like these, uh, let's make a deal, right? Some of you are old enough. Remember Monty Hall, let's make a deal, right? It's not a good idea to do with the Lord. But in this case, her, her seriousness of situation at this point, she's willing to do that. Her commitment to God and her relationship is that, hey, I will do anything to have that son, and I will commit him back to the Lord and commit him to service. Right? She's not going to be able to raise him. He's going to be raised in the temple at the time, be raised by somebody else. She'll get to see him, but it's not going to be the same. In fact, he's going to take on a Nazarite vow. Right? It was very strict. No alcohol, shaven heads, separated, John the Baptist took that vow for a time Paul took that vow, right? Certain times they would do that. We talked about fasting, right? That would all be part of that, that vow from time to time. And so he set apart. He's going to be the Lord's servant. He's going to be set up for ministry at a very early age. She's committing that to God. Verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli, I mean, he's the priest, he thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. I think again we talked about this yesterday, right? We we quite often look at people and we make judgments or on the appearance of something, or just from the outside in. You no? Know, Interesting that the priest misses it totally here. I kind of laugh at this and chuckle, right? Sometimes we think we've got someone pegged, we see a situation, we know what's going on, and totally off, totally wrong. But Eli, the priest, should have recognized someone praying, but yet he jumps to the conclusion that she's drunk, right? Her mouth is moving, but there's nothing coming out so he makes that assumption, and in fact, he casts judgment on her, and he even tells her, hey, stop, right, stop doing what you're doing, is what he's really saying here, and he's commanding it to her, and as a priest, when that happened, she would be told to do that, she would naturally stop. How foolish, right? She's actually praying, why would, why would any priest not want your people to be praying? Imagine me as a pastor saying, hey, stop praying, you know, you can't pray anymore, I know the elders, they would be, we'd have a meeting really soon, and it would be one of those closed-door meetings where they'd say, Charlie, you're off mace on this one. Right? Priest is the same way, right? But again, he's misjudged her, he's made an assumption, and he's already trying to correct a situation that's not even true. Hannah in her defense speaks back up in verse 15 and says, Not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring and praying whole to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Again, we see a little glimpse into her heart, right? She's, hey, I'm not drunk. i am not, not been drinking at all. I'm just, I'm just pouring my heart out to the Lord. I'm letting him know my desire. I'm letting him know what's going on inside. Again, you can almost see her. She's just, just wrenching out that prayer. Lord, please. Right? She's made this vow. She's, she's done everything she can think of possibly to get a child. Verse 17 here, we see Eli's response like, uh-oh, I missed this one. Woof. <laughs> So he answers in 17, he says, go in peace that the, may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Again, unusual for a priest sometimes to say, hey, what, he doesn't know exactly what's going on, he doesn't know the situation, but he's saying, hey, whatever you're asking because of your sincerity, you know what? Let God answer it. In other words, he's giving his okay to her prayer that God can answer it as he sees fit. Verse 18, we again see the response. I love the the conversation that goes on here between the two. It says, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now we know she didn't get the answer yet. right? She's put up the request, but something has changed. Something probably deep inside her has changed. There's a, a change in her outward appearance, but there's also a change inside. Somewhere in that prayer and somewhere in that interaction, she's been encouraged. She's been lifted up. She doesn't know the outcome yet. She doesn't have any guarantee other than her faith in that God's going to answer it, but she's encouraged. And it changes her face, her complexion. She's ready to eat again. You can only imagine that her spirits have been lifted up. The story goes on. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramana. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Love how God works here, right? And even whoever wrote this, we're not exactly sure who wrote Samuel. Most scholars believe it was Samuel, but but he had some help because obviously the time period doesn't line up, so someone may have finished it. But regardless, the writer puts that in there, the Lord remembered. Interesting conversation I had with a a fellow that I'm fairly close in age to and I have a good relationship with, and he made the the statement just kind of offhand. He says, you know, oh, God forgets my sin. And I said, Really? God really forget? And again, it spurred a, a great conversation, right? He, he can choose not to remember, but again, if God could forget, then he could forget his promises, he could forget what his son did, he could forget the payment. There's problems with that theologically. And I just say that as, as the scriptures, it talks over again, the Lord remembered her. To the theme, God does not forget his promises. Again, back to the theme, God is faithful. It's not dependent on us. It's God that's the one that's faithful. He's the one that is constant, and we can rely upon that. I also love how, again, supernaturally, he opens up a womb, but it, everything falls kind of according to plan, right? Scripture is very plain, right? Made love to his wife. Course of time, she has a baby. But not just any baby, she happens to just have a boy, a son, right? And so Hannah names him Samuel. Again, the beginning. Now, remember, just we just read a few minutes ago about that, that vow she made, right? Well, now she's got her son. Now Hannah's going to make a decision. Is she going to keep that vow, or is she going to kind of go back on it? That's a, you know, it, was, it sounded like a good idea at the time, but now... I got this little baby in my arms, and I got my wish, and now I can show her off, and hey, you know, peanut, hey, look, I got one now too in the house, right? Yeah, things are better. That's why we read on. Verse 21. It says, when her husband Echidon went up to, with all of his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. So Hannah didn't forget, right? She she remembered her vow, but you might wonder there may be a little bit of wavering here. She's kind of put a condition on it. Well, after he's weaned, right? And again, weaning in that day could take up to three years, and so it was typical in that day, it would take quite a bit of time. Hannah may have been weighing out her decision here a little bit. Well, I I may want a little more time with him, and so I'm going to wait. In fact, I'm not going to go up. And certainly that in itself may even speak to it that she may be struggling a little bit with her original commitment. Interestingly here, her husband allows her to make the decision. Verse 23 says, Do what seems best to you. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. It's an interesting statement. Only may the Lord make good his word. He recognizes that God, God kept his promise. God kept his side of the bargain, right? He blessed her with a son. I think in some ways he's encouraging his wife here, hey, God did his part of the deal. What about your side? It's a reminder, but he is wise enough to say, hey, you do what seems best. He's at least wise enough that he wants her to come to that same conclusion, the right conclusion, and he's allowing her a little bit of freedom to do that. It's an interesting, because it's not the normal way that a household would operate in those days, but yet he's given her that opportunity. So, She stayed home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood Beside you, praying to the Lord. Interesting, she's got to reintroduce herself to Eli. They had that intimate conversation. They even had that bad experience together. And a couple years have gone by, but yet she's reintroducing herself to him and saying, hey, remember? Remember, I'm that, that woman... Now, out of respect, she doesn't bring up the fact that, hey, you misjudged me that I was a drunken woman and, and you're you wrong Mary. No, she's just saying, hey, remember, I'm the woman that was praying. And Eli, I'm sure, jogs his memory a little bit here. Oh, yeah, I remember you. And again, she's brought a sacrifice to him. And again, it's not the normal sacrifice. This is above and beyond. This is an extra sacrifice. It's not the annual one that they would do with the whole family. she says, As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood beside you and prayed to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. Don't you love it when God answers prayer? Don't you love it? I, I, I still get excited sometimes, and, and sometimes it's, it's not exactly the answer that I wanted, but I still get excited when God answers that prayer. Uh, sometimes I think we... We, in our, our walks, sometimes we almost take it for granted and we kind of just skip over it like, well, yeah, I know God was going to answer it that way, and, and we don't give Him praise for it. We forget. We kind of or we are on to the next prayer. Maybe I'm the only one. I, I, maybe I'm guilty of that. And if you've been here before, you know, we've talked about prayer, right? God always answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and wait. Wow, you guys are good. Good job, right? And you know which one's the hardest for me, right? Wait, yeah. I get pretty impatient. I, I, I want an answer. I, I can deal with yes, I can deal with no, but waiting is like, oh, man, that's a hard one. Takes a lot more out of me. And again, to keep going back and asking, but I need to do that. Again, that answer to prayer. And so she recognized that God answered her prayer And he didn't only answer it yes, but he answered it exactly the way she wanted, right? He gave her a son. And now she's fulfilling that vow. She's coming back around and saying, you know what? I made this vow, and so I'm going to do it. Many of the scholars believe the the bull was part of the provision, right? It it was so much above and beyond. It's, It's not the normal. She certainly could have done a lesser sacrifice, but it's part of the provision. Right? She's gratitude of her heart now is that she wants to give enough to bless Eli and his household and obviously now her son because now Eli is going to take responsibility for Samuel. A lot of trust, right? Again, Eli's not perfect. We we know that and, and again to turn over a three-year-old to someone else's care serious stuff. It's not not an easy thing that Hannah's doing here by any means. She's, she's sacrificing a life. at Point Way doing this, and turning him over. Even here at Point Way, we, we don't let those kiddos go out with just anybody out there, and we, keep, you know, we do security checks and background checks and training, and, and we have two people, and we, we work hard to keep them as safe as possible, and yet there was none of those in place, and Hannah's just turning her son over to a priest who, by all accounts, is just okay. In fact, later on we'll learn that he's actually not a very good dad. But yet she fulfills her vow, and she does what God has told her to do. Lastly here, as we close out chapter 1, and we're going to stop here for today, but it says, So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life will be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Hannah now has committed her son to ministry into the Lord, and to that for the rest of his life. She's turning him over to be dedicated to that ministry, to that that life of being in the priesthood and being part of that that worship. It's not a small thing that she's done here by any means. Neither was a small thing that the Lord did for her. And so she sacrifices that time and her son, and being with him, to the Lord. So what can we gather out of this this morning? What, what, are, what are some of the takeaways? I always like to, to, to give a little bit of a, a takeaway, right? Again, who's the one who is the story about? God, right? God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Does God use perfect people? No. Praise God. He uses imperfect people. So I also flipped that. We don't have to be perfect in order for God to use us. And prayer. Is prayer important? Yeah. Yeah. It's vital. It's very important. So is that dedication to the Lord. Because He will be faithful. Bow with me, please. Well, gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank You so much that You are faithful. And Lord, that you choose to use us even though we are not perfect. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that for each and every one of us, Lord, that you would use us this week. That we would have an impact, that we would be that light to those around us in darkness. Lord, remind us to pray and to pray fervently and to pray for those things that are dear to us and those things that that we need on our daily moment-by-moment walk with you. Lord, may we be known as people who pray. And Lord, we praise you for the answers that you give. We thank you for the way that you answer our prayers. And Lord, just continue to bless and use each and every one of us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.